It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio on the Rockstar Radio Network. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it is an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a really amazing show. I'll be introducing my guests shortly, and I promise this will be a fun and informative hour. It will be terrific. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I will do this every single week. As I was reading the book that my guest wrote... I was impressed by how much he went through to start his company and how he kept going even when things looked really hopeless. When you have a big dream and are faced with seemingly insurmountable obstacles, what is your response? You really have only two possible choices. Number one is quit on your dream, or number two, find a way to keep going. There's nothing inherently wrong with either option, but you need to decide what is important to you. And once you decide that, the decision gets so much easier. With that in mind... I do want to introduce my guest. And before I forget, let me give you the call-in number in case you'd like to call in and participate in today's discussion. That number is 866-404-6519. Once again, that's 866-404-6519. My guest this week is Brian Smith. Let me tell you a little bit about him. At age 29, Brian decided that a life in public accounting was not for him. He quit his job and went to California to look for a new business idea and to surf all the legendary breaks on the California coast. He soon noticed there were no sheepskin boots in in California like there were in Australia where he comes from, so he and a friend bought six pairs from Australia to test the market. And so UGG was born, and over the next 17 years, Brian built it into a national brand. The business grew too big for Brian to finance, so he sold it to Decker's Outdoor Corporation. The new team built upon the casual comfort theme, and through style development, merchandising, and great marketing, established UGG as an international fashion brand with sales exceeding $1 billion, that's $1 billion with a B, in 2011, 2012, and 2013. Brian's book is called The Birth of UGG in America, and it is a fantastic book detailing the ups and downs of developing an iconic worldwide brand. We will discuss this and so much more during today's show. With all this in mind, here is my guest, Brian Smith. Brian, are you there? I sure am. Thanks for having me on. Oh, fantastic. Welcome to Success Profiles Radio. How do you like it here in the United States compared to Australia? It's a different change, isn't it? Well, California is so Australian, there's not really much difference at all, but the rest of America is really a different country, yes. Absolutely. In fact, you know, sometimes, I mean, we, I love California. I'm in Arizona right next to California, but in some respects, you almost think that California is a completely different country. Yes, it really <laughs> is. It, it, it's all good, though. I love my Cali friends. So the first question I ask everybody, Brian, is to tell, you, tell us about your background, your backstory. You had such an amazing and diverse background that brought you from where you started to where you ended up. So fill us in on your background. Yes, well, I left high school and uh, 
didn't go to college uh, the traditional way, but I worked as an accountant and uh, studied at night. And uh, it took 10 years for me to graduate as a chartered accountant, which is equivalent to a CPA in America. And mm. I didn't like any period of that 10 years. I didn't like the work. I didn't really like the study. But I've got this sort of tenacious character that doesn't give up, and I sort of stuck it through until I graduated, and that was the last day I worked as an accountant. Um, but in the meantime, I was really active, surfing, playing rugby, Australian football, you know, all the, the normal teenage and adolescent things. And uh, it wasn't until uh, I was in my you know late 20s where I'd, I'd quit being an accountant and come back from a sailing trip to Bali where I surfed. And I was playing a Pink Floyd album, and I, and I heard the words... Um, you know, tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. Life is long, and you, you know you're young, and there is time to kill today. And I, and I thought, my God, that's my life, you know. But then yeah. I went on and said, but then ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And mm. as soon as I heard those words, I went, Oh my God! I all my friends are all tracking onto partnerships or have good businesses, and I'm in a job I don't like. So. I knew yeah. all, all the cool trends were coming out of California, so I just bought a ticket to to uh, L.A. and uh, started looking for the next big thing to bring back to Australia. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you were thinking about bringing something back to Australia, but that's not how it turned out. The exact opposite is what happened. You end up yeah, staying. It's, it's, it's funny. I was I was reading a surfing magazine. It took about three or four months of not finding anything, and I was reading a surf magazine and I saw an advertisement for sheepskin boots. And I went, oh, my God, there are no sheepskin boots in America, yet one in two Australians, I seem to think, was had some sort of sheepskin footwear. So I ended up you know, buying a few samples and stayed in California and uh, started to try and build the market of uh, sheepskin boots. And I registered the trademark UGG to... Uh, you know, used as a vehicle, and that took me the next 17 years of my life. Absolutely. So I want to come back to something. You you stayed in a job you didn't like. Was it because you just really didn't know what else you wanted to do? I mean, for some, it takes quite a long time to figure that out, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Was yeah. it because that, that where you were was the path of least resistance at the time? It was providing an income, and, and I as I said, I, I, I just had this, tenacious nature where I hate to give up on anything and that is a negative in one sense but it serves as a positive in in the instance of you know putting in 17 years and fighting the the immense you know market pressure as to trying to build a brand you know I could there were three or four times that I relate in my book where I actually tried to give up but mm -hmm. you know that, that nature in me just said no 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 give it one more try give it one more try and and that's that's how you overcome the, you know, the obstacles. Yeah, sometimes, and well, actually, just about all the time, when you fully commit to a direction, the universe conspires to help you in some way yep. or another. It may not be in the way that you're expecting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that happened over and over again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that in Australia, sheep, the sheep industry is, is probably one of the biggest industries. Uh, agriculture is big in the Midwest here. Uh, but it's probably more cows and pigs than it is sheep. And so and we'll talk about later in the show how you build a brand when right. 
there's not a perceived need in the market, but you, you have to create that need. So let me ask you, I mean, you, you decided to bring Uggs boots to America because you did not see any sheepskin boots. Did you question why that was, or how, how did you decide that this was something that you wanted to do? Well, that was, you know, it, it's funny. Had I done market research, I probably never would have started um, <laughs> because I would have learned that Americans don't understand sheepskin the way Australians do. You know, mm. Australians know that it's rugged, it's breathable, you can't sweat in it, it's soft, it's durable. And Americans think it's hot, it's sweaty, it's too soft, we can't get mud on it, you can't wear it outside in the snow. And so the perception was completely different in America. And when I started out with my six pairs of samples, I thought it would be instant millionaire time. And the very first road trip we went on, we couldn't get a single Californian to buy a pair of birds. Yeah. It was amazing. In fact, our first year's sales, and that was like, it was a very short window, it was November and December, but we ended up selling 28 pairs for, for some total of exactly $1,000. And mm. that was the first time I decided, should I give up? Or I, I questioned, should I give up? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the analogy that you, you continue to draw throughout your book, that building a business is a lot like raising a child. There's the infancy stage, and then there's yeah. the toddler stage, and then the teen stage, and the young adult stage, and then there's the mature adult stage. I had never really thought of it in quite those terms until you laid it out, which I thought was very interesting. I mean, were you even thinking about it in those terms at that time, or were you thinking, gosh, I wonder if this is just a dead-end road or not? We're on with uh, Brian Smith today. He is the author of The Birth of Ugg in America, how he brought Ugg sheepskin boots to the U.S. market, and we talked about how he spent a long time as an accountant before he decided that that was not exactly the right career for him. And we talked about overcoming obstacles and, uh, and how he decided that this was something he wanted to pursue, but all of the uh, uh, obstacles that he was pursuing. Brian, are you there? Yeah, I'm back on. Sorry, I don't know what happened. Okay, okay not a problem. So we were talking about... Um, uh, bringing bringing Ugg to America, and I was asking if, if if you were deciding to actually quit at this time, or did you just see this as a big obstacle? Yeah, it was that was an obstacle, um, but uh, you know when we realized it didn't work in California, we tried New York, and that wasn't much better. But we eventually, I realized that all the surfers in California who'd been to Australia had brought back four or five pairs of boots for their buddies. So in the surf market, it was a very well-known product. And so we just started our... Are you still there? Yes, I am. Uh, we just started marketing to the uh, the surf shops, and and they were very enthusiastic to see them because they, they you know a lot of the surf shop owners already wore sheepskin boots, and so mm-hmm. they were really pleased to see us coming back into the market. I to see them coming in for the first time, so they were very encouraging. But it was still a it was still a hassle trying to get the uh, you know the consumers to overcome these obstacles. And it it relates. You you mentioned earlier about the the life stages of you know where you have a conception and then birth. Well, we birthed mm-hmm. it with that six pairs of samples, and then we went into this this long period of infancy where we couldn't you know it was very difficult to get people to accept them. 
And, okay. And we, we are up against our we are up against our first break. We'll come right back after the music starts and after the commercials come on. This is Success Profiles Radio. We'll be right back. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Did you know you can quickly grow your business online and offline for free? SmartGuy.com is one of the fastest growing business networks in the world. Managing over 600 city business networks from Los Angeles, California to the country of Bahrain. In just a minute or two, you can add your business and be quickly listed in their global business directory, local business networks, and get a free web page that can actually rank on top of major search engines in as little as one to two weeks. No kidding. Simply go to www.smartguy.com. Fill out your company information and you're set. So add your business for free and find out why everyone loves a smart guy. Smartguy.com. At Solave, we think a person's voice is the most powerful form of marketing, so that's what we want to invest in. While other companies spend billions on traditional marketing, we reward you for sharing Solave with your connections. We began with a simple idea. A single relationship has the power to make life better for many people. We took this idea and turned it into a company that can make commerce less expensive and even profitable for everyone. We started with mobile phone service because it's something all of us already use, and it's the technology connecting us every day. We put you in charge of what you pay for mobile service and simply making the switch to Solave is the first step to spending less $49 a month for unlimited voice text and data but it gets even better you can earn money just for sharing Solave with others as your network of connections grows both through your actions and the actions of each person who joins because of you you can quickly be paying nothing for your mobile service and even make a profit every month visit us online at www.social-commerce-now.com to learn more and join the Solave revolution Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is Brian Smith. He has written a book called uh, The Birth of Ugg in America. And he created the company Ugg for Ugg Boots. And some of you out there may own some Uggs. And I've, I have not had the fortune of, of trying one on, but I hear they are extremely comfortable. Maybe someday I'll get to try one on. But, uh, Brian, we were talking a little bit about uh, identifying a market when there's not a market need that's perceived. You started uh, by selling to surf shops first. What is it exactly that made you think that that might be a viable first market for you? Um, just because of the, the number of surfers who have been to Australia that brought boots back for their buddies, there was oh. a, a pretty general understanding of the, and the, the people actually wore them because with these sheepskin boots, the minute you put them on and you, when you finally try them on, naughty you, uh, will go, oh my God, I can't believe how comfortable these are. And so the word of mouth 
is extremely very you know positive with uh, sheepskin boots. And so uh, once we got all those first shop owners wearing boots, then customers would come in and say, hey, what are these like? And the, the, the first shop owners would rave about them. So the word of mouth publicity was tremendous. And that was how we ended up uh, getting into the surf market for starters. Hmm. Um, but but then, you know, we were doing like three years in a row the same sales volume and I couldn't figure out why and we'd been posing all these models on the rocks at Wind and Sea and, and you know, I hadn't had any luck getting into the mall stores and I thought I was sort of failing but I was in a, uh, a buying office in, in a company called Montgomery Ward and, and gave a great presentation and he looked at me and said, Brian, why are you here? And I said, because hmm. I, I want to I get an order for your mall store and he says, don't you get it? We're the elephants. We don't move till the mice are running around under our feet. And the minute I heard that, I went, "Oh my God! I haven't really got it rocking in the, the special, you know, the specialty stores like the surf shops and the ski shops." And mm. so I changed the advertising from models to sponsoring a couple of young surfers. And the year that I ran those ads, it was like our fourth year of sale. It jumped from forty uh, from thirty thousand dollars a year to four hundred thousand dollars a year, purely wow. because I hit on the right image, and that that was a determining factor in in every marketing decision I made from then on. I had to make sure I de- I identified with the cool people in the market that I was trying to get to. Yeah, exactly. One thing that you did discover about the surfing market is, even in California, it's really seasonal. So you only had a few months a year to work with, right? Yeah, that was by far the worst facet of the business, was that we would sell, sell, sell October, November, December. And then in January, February, we'd be collecting money and just doing fill-in. And then in February, you know, the last thing any buyer wanted to have coming in the shop was, sheepskin boots because he knew he couldn't move them over the summertime. So we pretty much shut down from February till the next October. And mm. that was a huge cash drain for us and uh, made made the business very difficult. Uh, the yeah. best businesses are those where you, you sell through your inventory in one month and buy more and sell it the next month and buy more and sell it the next month. They're, they're the good businesses. I had a really yeah. tough one. Had you thought at that time about adding uh, complementary product lines to get you through the rest of the year, or how did you deal with the lull in sales mid-year? Um, most of the, the first four or five years, I got a job in the summertime. I, you know, I, I've done everything from wash boats uh, in Marina del Rey to working in construction in Bel Air, um, working on a golf course in the summertime, you know. I went on the road stripping out computers for a company for a long time when they had big mainframe computers. So I did anything it took to stay alive during the summer months. And it was during those periods, especially when I was working on the golf course, I was trying to figure out should I, should I even stick with the business and decided to give up at the end, you know, at the end of the summer and just not order anymore. And then the first storm hit the coast of California and I had like, 40 or 50 messages on my answering machine from all the surf shop retailers wanting fill-ins and new new inventory. So as fast as I was out of business, I was back in again. <laughs> I yeah, exactly. Around, you know? That's great. Well, you know what, Brian? A lot of people are afraid to start something because they don't know exactly how to do it or they're just not sure how it's going to unfold. Now, obviously, you cannot yeah. know every contingency in advance, 
there wasn't really a roadmap for you to follow because you were pioneering this. So right. what kept you going? I mean, how how did you figure this out? Well, I knew that the product was good. Every single person who put them on their feet just absolutely fell in love with them. So it wasn't like I, I had to question the, the product itself. Um, and so I just knew that if, if it was a matter of, uh, you know, like the, the tipping point with Malcolm Gladwell's book, you know, I knew that there mm-hmm. was a point where enough people would get into them and tell their friends and then that would be, 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 you know, enough to keep a stable business going for those four or five months of the year. Um, but, yeah, when you start out, um, there, there is a certain amount of ignorance that an entrepreneur, entrepreneur must have. And I go into that in my book, which is you know the the, the infancy stage of of every business. It doesn't matter; it wasn't just sheepskin boots. Every new product that comes on the market has a period of of waiting for acceptance, and mm-hmm. that's the period most people give up. They they figure they're failures, but if they if they really believe they have a good product, they must stick in there because that's the the the, the big ingredient that separates those who never do anything from those who, who finally get a business to succeed. Yeah, and the big department stores did not want to be the guinea pig to try it out first. They wanted yeah, to see evidence no, of your they, success they, they in a smaller the, niche. Yeah, they were the elephants. And, and the, the ironic thing is that the year that we did the good advertising with the surf model, uh, with you know with the, the surfers, um, and the sales hit 400000 all the moms were walking the malls not realizing that they're sold in surf shops. So they're going into Nordstrom. Do you have Ugg boots? You know what? No, what are Ugg boots? You know, Kinney's. Do you have Ugg boots? No, what are Ugg boots? And she's like, one by one, they were going through all the mall stores. So we eventually, the following season, got got into every mall store purely because the volume of the surf market had had finally, you know, the, the mice had started running, I guess, and uh, and the, you know the big stores started started to take notice. Yeah, exactly. Trade shows were a huge part of the marketing strategy from the very start and continued to be absolutely huge all the way through the growth process, correct? Yeah. Well, to be quite honest, the first time I wheeled my little box of samples into a surf show, it was the Action Sports Surf Show, I was almost embarrassed because they had all these beautiful surf brands, you know, bikinis, sport shorts, you know, all the surf paraphernalia. And I, I was standing there with sheepskin boots on the table. <laughs> it was very right. out of place. Uh, so it took two or three years before I could sort of wheel in my stuff into the trade show with my head held high, you know. It, was, it took a lot of courage to do those first few shows. But once the product itself took off, you know, we became a very big force in the trade show industry. And, you know, we would have buyers lined up for, you know, three yeah. or four days of every show. That's great. While I'm thinking about it, where can people get your book? Well, right now they can pre-order on Amazon.com or they can go to my website, which is briansmithspeaker.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that new site is being, it's being redone. It should be loaded up today or tomorrow. So www.briansmithspeaker.com. Uh, they okay. can order there. And, uh, and the book itself will be published in October. 
So just uh, keep waiting and keep ordering, and, and it'll be eventually be available. Okay. People can pre-order it, though, right? I believe so, yes. Wonderful. We've got about three minutes until our next break. The next thing okay. I want to ask you about, Brian, is as your business started growing exponentially, you had to start hiring people and to add people to your team. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in the idea of, I'm not sure if I should trust other people to help me run my business because they don't know it or care about it as much as I do. How did you break through that mindset barrier? Yeah, that's a difficult one. Um, Letting go of your business is the hardest thing an entrepreneur can do. And mainly because they have this mindset, you know, and and it's because of the mindset that gets the business going, uh, which is I can do everything myself and it doesn't matter what happens at what time of the night, I will fix it. You know, you have that attitude to where you hire an employee who says, well, wait a minute, I don't come in till nine and I'm leaving at five and I need an hour lunch. And it's very difficult to, to adjust to that type of employee mentality. And Mm so there's a tendency to want to hold on to do everything because it has to be done immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, But but bit by bit, um, you know, if if you hire good employees, um, there'll be a point where, well, here's a classic example. I used to think nobody could do the brochures as good as I could because I knew all about photography and printing and, you know, graphic art and layout and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this one year where I had a, I'd had hired a, a, a manager who gave that project to another girl in the office. And it was like pulling fingernails for me at the time. Even though I could override it, I didn't because I, I was trying to, you know, build a team. And, mm-hmm. and this girl, you know, a month later comes back and says, hey, Brian, what do you think of this? And I... I started looking at all the pages and the, the layout and the photography, and I and I just thought, oh my god, that's better than anything I could have ever done. That's great. And, and so that that was when I started to realize the benefits of bringing on good people. But the the hardest thing is uh, there's a term that you, know, you don't hire a dog and continue to do all the barking. Um, yeah. And, and Absolutely. You've got to be willing to let go and trust. And mm-hmm. hey, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work out, you've maybe lost three months, six months, and you've got to find somebody else. But it's surprising how often these people will come through with you know, yeah. given their own initiative, and they'll they'll you know do a good job. That's great. And we are coming up against our next break. My guest is Brian Smith. His book is The Birth of Ugg in America. We've been talking about how he started his business how he uh, really pioneered this, and how he learned to trust people as he built his business. We'll be right back after the break. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. 
Energy Saving Solutions' innovative double green plan enables you to switch to energy-efficient LEDs and other modern lighting with no upfront cost. Modern LEDs are far more efficient than other types of lighting, but for many businesses, schools, and nonprofit organizations, the reason for sticking with the old inefficient lighting is the cost of replacing them. While an old-fashioned incandescent bulb may cost a dollar, LED costs $30 or more, and that's why Energy Saving Solutions has designed our double green plan. Double green allows you to convert to LEDs with no out-of-pocket cost. We'll pay for your new lights, and you'll pay us back with a percentage of your savings. From the very first day that your new LEDs are lighting your life, you'll realize a positive cash flow, and you'll be doing something positive for our environment. For a free cost and energy savings analysis, call Joshua May at 888-620-8133, extension 7082, or visit us online at www.energysavingindustry.com. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can with Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Mondays at noon central, Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're, this is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is Brian Smith. He brought the Ugg boots and footwear line to America from Australia. It is now an iconic worldwide brand. And if you want to talk to him and ask him a question about how he built his business, that number is 866-404-6519. Once again, that's 866-404-6519. So in the last segment, Brian, we talked about uh, the idea of letting go of control issues and letting other people help you perpetuate the brand and build the business for you. But let me ask you this, as a leader, as a CEO, as a founder, what are some of the character qualities that you drew from that helped you experience the level of success that you had? Because you have, you overcame a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've already talked about the, you know, the hanging in there, the tenacity, which is a character quality. Um, but the as I, as I got further and further through the business, I noticed a theme that when things would go wrong, rather than, you know, giving up and, and uh, you know, just walking away from it, I would overcome, I would find some way to overcome it. And the, I, I ended up, you know, thinking of this saying that, that I've written in my book, which is, sometimes your most disappointing disappointments become your greatest blessings. Yeah. And and stated another way, it, it, if I look back in, in, in this, this is my entire life, right? Not just the Ugg business. 
But if I look back at all of the greatest disappointments, or all of the disappointments that I've had, um, I'm almost grateful they happened because it set me off on another direction that was even bigger and better and had more potential than the road I was going down when the disappointment happened. And it's sort of like nature, you know, if a plant's trying to grow and there's something in its way, it'll sort of figure out a way to grow around it. And and it doesn't stop the growth. It doesn't give up and die. It just keeps going and finding another way around it. And that's a really good philosophy for life. And so um, the, as far as qualities go, you know, character qualities, that, that the ability to sort of stick in there and hang in there uh, against obstacles is a really, really powerful one and you know I, I as I said looking back I would always you know, thank God that happened because now look where I'm at so, yeah and 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 the only way you get beaten is if you give up because you know it, 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 an obstacle or you know defeat isn't defeat until you stop because defeat's just sort of an obstacle to get around and there's always a way around uh, pretty much everything that happens even if it goes back to start one and, and, and get into a new direction to begin again, it's yeah. still possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, I know that a lot of people in general, not just in business, but in general, are uh, not at peace with the idea of uncertainty. They want things to be ducks in a row. They want things to be laid out in a certain way, and they feel safe that way. So let's talk about being at peace with uncertainty. That does scare a lot of people. Could you tell a story about how you used uncertainty to drive you forward? Yeah. Those people, if they haven't started their business, probably never will. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, and that's okay because you need an entrepreneur can never be successful by himself. He needs a support team. Mm-hmm. And those people do need the certainty of a paycheck. They do need the certainty knowing if they do this, X, Y will happen. They, they so it, it's a very complementary thing. It, it, you know, just because somebody has uncertainty, doesn't mean they can't work well in a in an organisation where where other people can reinforce their their actions and give them certainty. Right. Mm-hmm. In in my book, uh, I, I also have this this little section that talks about. You know how how it's you know what I've learned to do is I, I feast upon uncertainty. I I love it because mm. that's where that's where the, the 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 growth potential is. If somebody's not done it before and I don't know how it's going to work out, I get excited because that's where the breakthroughs happen. Yeah, so I, I like feast on uncertainty. Um, I I grow fat on disappointment. You know because every as I said earlier, every disappointment is the growth of a, of another another phase and yeah so I, I i love disappointment i mean i mean i don't love it but when it happened i mean I, I my my employees used to laugh because something would go wrong and i'd say god darn it that's gone wrong okay that's good and now mm-hmm. why is that why is that good and mm-hmm. and within an hour or so you figured out another way to get around it and it actually is better and so that disappointment um actually turns into a to a positive and you know yeah. enthusing a, and, and getting enthusiastic when it, when it looks like you're defeated you know I, as I, you know I, I said when I began I played a lot of rugby 
Mm-hmm. My, my, favorite, my favorite rugby games were when we were three points down with six minutes to go. That, they were the most exhilarating games I got caught. It didn't even matter if we won or lost. Just yeah. the fact that you knew you had to give it everything uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to, to avoid the defeat was, was the, you know, that, that was what got my juices going. And, and yeah. you know, I, I recently did a personality sort of evaluation on how people see you, and, and my profile came back as a, a passionate innovator. So yeah. obviously those sort of things get my juices going, but there will be a lot of people um, whose profiles would come back as, you know, they're, they're a serious analyst, you know. Yeah. And they, they're the people you desperately need to do the accounting and the forecasting and, and keep, right. keep the reins on an entrepreneur. So, yeah. uh, it, you know, we all, we all have a certain you know, level of comfort that we like to operate from. Sure. And so for you, uncertainty is an adrenaline rush, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's, that's wonderful. So let me ask you this. Sometimes when we start a business, we think we know exactly where we want it to go. I mean, when you started yeah. Ugg Boots, I'm sure you had this vision of where you wanted this thing to go. But sometimes things happen serendipitously and the market ends up finding you instead. So let's talk about a time or two where the direction of your business went in a completely different direction than you, than you originally envisioned. Yeah, well, that that happened often. Um, yes. One one classic case was was like we we had the surf market, you know, running at four or five million dollars, and the ski market tapped into that because all the Californians go skiing in the in the winter, so that was an easy one. But you know, I I'd be on road trips with my sales reps back east, you know, and I'd I'd be in New York or you know Minnesota, Ohio, you know Illinois. And nobody's read Surfer magazine, and nobody has a clue about sheepskin boots. Mm-hmm. And obviously, nobody had been exposed to them because of the advertising we'd been doing. So I started asking around, you know, well, what are, you know, I knew how powerful that the young surfers were for the surf market. So I started asking questions. Hey, well, you know, what do you, what do the kids do here in in Minnesota in the winter time? And it was like, oh, hockey. And yeah. I went, oh, oh my God! They all go inside these stadiums and they they play hockey. And the, and not only that, all the mums have to go sit in these stadiums, and it's like forty degrees. And mm-hmm. I went, oh my God, what a great market! So, so I found a magazine called Let's Play Hockey, and started advertising. And you know, we had little little things like you know, send us in your story and about your mom, and we'll see if she wins the hockey mum of the week. Award, you know, and and we'd give her a free pair of Ugg boots, and and within a couple of years, again, it it didn't go overnight because remember that infancy period you have yeah. to go through. That that happens in every single market that you go into. There's this there's this period of of looking, 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 looking. Well, maybe I'll try it. Okay, I tried it. It's fantastic. I'll tell all my friends, right? So mm-hmm. after two after two or three years, you know, we're getting calls from Dayton's, which is like the equivalent of Nordstrom's in in you know the rest mm-hmm. of the country, and right. they're going, you know, we we want to place a bigger order for Ugg boots because you know all these moms are coming in and and they're all talking about their kids want them for the hockey rinks and stuff like that. So you know that was a market that caught us by surprise. Yeah. And another time I was I was. Uh, Flying back from from somewhere back east, and and I was what you know the girl next to me was reading a magazine. It was like People magazine or Us magazine, and and 
towards the back, there's all these celebrities and they're all street shots showing so-and-so's wearing this, so-and-so's wearing that. And I thought, you know, I wonder how they could get into, into UGG. And, and I, I discovered a group of uh, people called stylists in Hollywood and they do the mm-hmm. hairstylists. They do the makeup, right. they do the wardrobe and all that. So I sent a bunch of, you know, I sent letters out to about 400 of them saying, if you want a free pair of boots, give me a call. And about 40 people did. And then bit by bit, you know, they were calling up and they're saying, hey, I was just doing so-and-so star's hair. They would love a pair of Ugg boots, you know. And, and this, then they would start showing up on sitcoms on TV and then they would start showing up in movies. And mm-hmm. before you knew it, you, you know, I was reading People magazine and they're in the back as, you know, Cameron Diaz or Sarah Jessica Parker in New York City wearing their Ugg boots, you know. So those markets found us just purely yeah. from, you know, even though we did the work to, to, to develop it, um, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a natural thing. They, they real, those markets just sort of over, overtook us. Yeah, we got about a minute to a minute and a half to our last break, and I know you okay. mentioned in the book too that there was a picture of uh, Pamela Anderson that was just impromptuly snapped. That's even a word. It was <laughs> snapped, sort of impromptu, and that ended up on what was that in USA Today? Well, yeah, I, I wanted to get PR done, and, and someone had sent me that photo from a London tabloid of you know Pamela Anderson in a red swimsuit with tall white Ugberts, and I was um, showing the the girl in at USA Today, all of the stars that were wearing them, and I tried to flick past that photo because I didn't... That's not how you wear sheepskin boots, right? And she, <laughs> right. She, she, she saw it, and she says, go back, what was that photo? And so we pulled it out, and she took down the photographer's name and the, the name of the newspaper in London, and and then was gone. You know, we, we, she, she, she double-booked our meeting, so we only had five minutes, and... Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, oh my God, I just blew the best potential for a for an article on sheepskin boots. Well, when I got back to the airport the next morning, on the way back to uh, that was in Chicago. I was on my way back to LA. Um, I couldn't believe it, but there in the front center of lifestyle section of USA Today was this huge article with Pamela Sue Anderson's photo. And and that, all right, and we're coming back, back after the break. We'll be right back. is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Looking for the perfect destination in Costa Rica, Panama, or Thailand? Concerned about the economy and looking for an escape plan? Then you need to go to escapeartist.com and learn how you can live, work, invest, retire, or do business overseas. Escape Artist has the perfect plan for you. Join our 400,000 readers and get your free subscription to Escape from America magazine. Visit www.escapefromamerica.com and create your escape plan right now. Get 
ready for Wise Up Radio, leveraging your learning, leadership, and legacy with Donna Kimbrand, the edgy evolutionary, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you're an entrepreneurial leader or visionary, stay ahead of your game with insights, tools, and strategies that give you the thought leader's edge. Each week, join Donna and her guests as she'll ask the edgy questions, help you discover game-changing shortcuts to better thinking and learning, how to explore the ripple effects of leadership excellence, and how to create your life as a living legacy, where the legacy you leave is the life you live. As thought leaders, you need strategies to help you enjoy the confidence and thrill of riding the wave of rapid change. For more on Donna, check out her website, GameChangerThinking.com. Then join the conversation and sharpen up your wits on Wise Up Radio with Donna Kimbrand. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And once again, this is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Brian Smith. His book is called The Birth of Ugg in America. We have a lot of topics to cover before the show ends. We'll probably have material left over, which is just fine. The next subject I want to talk about, uh, Brian, is about brand alignment. Because a lot of people, when they start business, they, they just start throwing things against the wall to see what sticks, and they don't really plan out anything. But you figure out who your core audience is and what their values are, and you cater about it. Sometimes things happen quite by accident, and you wonder if what you're doing really is in alignment with your brand. You uh, had a very happy accident. Was it at a trade show where you started using girls as your, I don't want to say mascots, but as your spokespeople or, or your cover people, your photo people for your, for your marketing? Tell us about that and how that worked and maybe how that didn't work out so well for you. Okay. Well, keep in mind we were very strong in the surf market by now, and uh, we were trying to, we, we, that was predominantly young guys that were all wearing them, and we wanted to get more women wearing them, and... Uh, mm. We also wanted to get into the ski market, and I hired a guy, uh, you know, for marketing. And he, his idea was, "Hey, we need more sizzle in the image." And it was right at the beginning of the aerobics movement when, you know, spandex tights and and little skinny tank tops uh, were, were coming in. And mm-hmm. so we did a we did a series of photos uh, with these girls, and and it was really quite sizzling, you know, um, great shots. And, uh, you know, we got a tremendous amount of, of attention from it. Um, and then we went to the ski show and uh, we the girls were just drawing attention from everywhere. Uh, and uh, th- there was, um, I'd say, you know, by, by the third or fourth day of the show, our little booth, which was tiny by comparison to all the others, was drawing this huge crowd of guys. And like five deep because they all wanted to, you know, the, the word had got out about the UG models. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the girls were making the guys take their shoes off and uh, we were writing business like crazy. Well, it was fantastic for us uh, in one sense that we got all these male buyers from the ski shops to place orders with us. And we'd gone from like zero to nearly 100,000 in sales in one trade show purely yeah. because of that image. But 
we soon found out that a lot of the big retailers, uh, their buyers are women. And these women were just appalled at the sexist. This was this was right at the beginning of women's liberation and you know the sexist you know object, objectification of women and all that. Mm-hmm. And these women were just aghast at what we were doing. And so, you know, the big stores like REI and North Face and you know Adventure Sixteen, we couldn't even get an appointment to show the line with these women. Just cut us out. And there was a competitor in the market with a brand called UGHS at the time and they they got all the business with all of the really big stores you know purely as a backlash for us sort of you know taking a gamble on a market which which in retrospect did fantastic for us and it really Mm -hmm. was on the map but it took us several years to you know gain the confidence by doing much more moderate advertising Uh, it took us several years to get all those big buyers back on our camp Right. You know, what what we really, you know, had to figure out was, hey, we're a comfort casual brand. We're not a a high, you know, rock and roll, you know, sexy brand where we're just casual comfort. So let's sort of get our image in line with that. Yeah. Oh, still there, Brian? Yeah, I'm still there. Oh, okay, and, and believe me, every, com- every company is going to have to figure out what is my brand and who is my target market, and yep. you have to marry the two up so they match. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So let me ask you another question. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of people would love to hear an answer to. I mean, you were doing something in building this brand that obviously uh, at multiple points through your growth process required the infusion of capital from the outside. So let me ask you, what needs to be in place for a company to even think about expecting outside venture capitalists to invest? Who do you need to be? How far along do you need to be? How do you get taken seriously when you ask for money? Well, it's a brilliant question. There's so many different stages. Uh, When we were starting out, you know, I, I had the hindsight of seeing how many booths there were in Australia, so I knew it could be big here. And without any sophistication, we didn't even write a business plan. We got a group of investors to put in $20,000, and we thought we would never, ever need any more money than that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we bought, uh, you know, 600 pairs of boots, which cost 15000 and the other five we were going to use for marketing and expenses. Mm-hmm. And un- unfortunately, we sold 28 pairs the first year. So, <laughs> so we ended up with a, you know, a third bedroom full of, you know, 580 pairs of boots, like, and and no cash. So immediately yeah. we needed more money, right? Um, so to, so that's, you know, most entrepreneurs going in are going to have to get that from friends and family. You know, we got it from friends, and they're, they're, that's called the angel investment stage, you know, the friends and family. Mm-hmm. Then, then when it goes bigger and you've got a couple of seasons behind you and you're selling out every year, but you can't finance the, the the inventory. That's usually the next phase, and that's when you start going to the the angel investors and the banks looking for bank lines of credit, and mm-hmm. the and then you'll you'll if if you, you get through that stage and suddenly you you start to need to expand uh, all of your administration offices and bring on more staff, more salespeople, more accounting people. That's when you need another big hit. That's usually the third stage. 
Mm-hmm. That's usually when you bring on either the bigger angels or the investment, you know, the equity bankers. Um, but the the one thing I never knew, and the one thing they don't teach you, you know, on the street, you, you know, the, the the MBAs learn this in college. But you know, if you're just an entrepreneur that's starting out with a good idea, you never know that you, the biggest obs- well, not an obstacle. One of your biggest problems if you're successful is that you are always going to need more capital. The bigger right. the business gets, if, if it's not operating on a margin of about 25 or 30% and you're turning it over five or six times a year, then you are going to need capital. And for the first 10, 12 years of my business, you know, even when we got it up to 6 or $7 million, I still felt like a failure because I had to keep getting more investors in. And one day I read a book by Richard Branson, uh, mm-hmm. My virginity, I think it was, and mm-hmm. uh, and he said in that book, you know, the one thing that's never changed from selling magazines on the street to running Virgin Airlines, I have never had the luxury of not having to raise money, and it made that was that was like lifting a load off my back because I went, oh my God, I'm not a failure, I'm just right. paying for my success. Yeah, and so that so capital is is. You know, it's a it's a problem when when you are young, but when you've got a profitable company, it, it gets much and much easier. And as long as you can show the investors that there is a way to get out, that's number one thing mm-hmm. they're looking for. How do I get out? Yeah. Number two is is how do I not lose money? In other words, is this secure? Mm-hmm. And be, and believe it or not, the profit motive is number three: is how much money will I make? So yeah. to to rephrase that, is it safe? How long will I be in there? And, you know, what's the profit? Yeah, absolutely. That's something your investor wants to know for sure. We've got about four minutes until the end, so I've got a couple more okay. questions I definitely do want to ask. Uh, eventually, you did decide to sell UGG to Deckers, and that's a publicly traded company, whereas you all were privately held. How did you know? And yep. you talked about getting out just a second ago. How did you know it was time for you to get out? Well, again, I was a victim of my success. Um, and our sales were about to double from, you know, 12 to over $20 million because we had a fantastic order writing season at the beginning of all the trade shows. And uh, if, if we were doing, you know, sales all year, I could have held on to the company. But we knew we had a, a pretty expensive summer coming up, and I knew that I was I didn't have the bankability or, you know, the 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 equity in place to generate you know twenty or say say let's say twelve million dollars worth of production without a, a serious letter of credit and it's funny that the owner of Deckers who who is uh, the company that bought us was a guy Doug Otto he and I sort of started our business he was selling sandals and I was selling sheepskin boots back in the late seventies and he'd gone public with a product called Tiva sandals. And he had a big war chest, and and he tried to buy me a couple of times, and, and we used to joke that you know, hey Doug, you can't afford us. But this year I knew uh, we needed new investment, and it was a fluke that I was in the baggage claim at Atlanta Airport, and he was there for the same trade show I was going to. And I walked up to him and said, hey Doug, you know, if ever, if ever we're going to do it, now's the time. And and that you know, we just shook hands right there, and and. Uh, the beauty of the deal was that his product died every winter and our product died every summer. 
And by yeah. merging the two businesses, you had a year-round business, which is what had been killing both of us. And so, you know, he had the cash. We, we had the desire to, you know, that's finance great. the new year. So, so that's how the deal went down. All right, great. we got less than two minutes to the end. We can find your book at www.briansmithspeaker.com. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Great. The last question I want to ask, Brian, is the question I ask everybody at the end of the show, who inspires and motivates you? Okay. Well, during during that period in the 70s and 80s, there was a guy called Robert Ringer who wrote a book called Winning Through Intimidation. Yes. And and that book was sort of my Bible because he, he had this way of writing that was just so true and honest and and humble, and, and he didn't care letting you know if he was stupid in some of the decisions he made and how, you know, but he really showed you how the, how the business world works. Mm-hmm. And, and he was always my, I, I, out of that first book, I wrote down 23 principles that he espoused. And, and I would have that in the front of my daily planner for, for a year, probably I carried that for 15 years. And mm-hmm. every time, every time some calamity would happen, I would look back and, oh my God, he same thing happened to him, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, so who inspires me now is is these millions of people who would love to start their business. Twenty seconds really, to the end. They don't really know how, and so I'm hoping my book will be the Robert Ringer book of the 21st century. I just want to inspire Great. every entrepreneur to, to follow their dreams and, and give it a go. That's wonderful, and thank you so much, Brian Smith, for being my very special guest. His book is called The Birth of Ugg in America. Go to www.briansmithspeaker.com to get that book and pre-order it. We want to thank you so much for listening to us today. You can join us next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. You can find me on Facebook. My my Facebook business page is Success Profiles Radio. You can download and subscribe to the show anytime on iTunes for free. Please do so. It was a pleasure having you here. Have a wonderful week. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for being a part of Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Each week, we'll